Let's pray. Gracious, gracious God, on this chilly day, warm our hearts with the promise of your gospel, your faithfulness, your abiding love with us, even in our lives where there is pain and where there is loss and where there is struggle, and we need a lifeline. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So much of life is indeed about loss in so many different ways. Over the last few years, I've watched, as a friend of mine, 12 years my junior has lost his father, both of his sisters, and his only brother, as they all died at different times for different reasons. He and his mom are the only ones remaining in his family. And on top of this, his wife left him. We'll call him Mark, not his real name. So who will be there for Mark? Amidst all the loss, is there, is there something or is there someone that he can count on when it feels like everything has been taken away? We're going to come back to Mark. Our Old Testament lesson from the book of Ruth tells the story of someone who is dealing with profound loss as well. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, are face, uh, faced with severe famine. So severe, they must leave their home in order to survive. Now, their home happens to be Bethlehem, and you may recall uh, this town would have uh, a bit more significance a few centuries later. Bethlehem, in fact, means house of bread. And while normally a very fertile land producing much grain, uh, that was not the case as our story begins. Have you ever gone from feeling like you had it made or you had it all to suddenly feeling desperate? From a house of bread to a house of barren fields? It's a parallel discussion to what some of the women in Scripture face in the Bible when their, their womb is barren, their prospects dim. The difference here is that the fields around Bethlehem are not normally barren, but now they suddenly are. A, rem a reminder, I think, to us all that placing trust in any one thing of this earth is a shaky proposition. So, Naomi and her family flee Judah, Bethlehem. Understandable. What is surprising is that they flee to Moab. Now, the Moabites and the Israelites didn't get along even worse than Minnesotans and Wisconsinites, not arguing over the Vikings and Packers. This was a little worse than a, neighbor, a friendly neighborhood rivalry. The Israelites and the Moabites had a long history of antagonism, treachery, and even warfare between them. In many ways, Naomi and Elimelech leaving Israel to seek refuge in Moab was probably seen by their neighbors as an act of disloyalty, perhaps even betrayal. What happened next would seem to validate the idea that they were now living under a curse for being such unfaithful Jews. Naomi's husband Elimelech died. After that, her two sons died as well, but not before marrying two Moabite women, 
Ruth and Orpah. Not Oprah, Orpah. Oprah was a messianic uh, figure who would come much later. Now, those two daughters-in-law were all that Naomi had. So, how do you call it? Has the land of Moab been a curse to Naomi, a graveyard for all the men in her family, or a blessing giving her two daughters-in-law? Well, you could make an argument either way. How about from Naomi's perspective? Was Naomi more a glass half empty or a glass half full kind of person in this situation? Well, the answer clearly would be half empty, for she rightfully concluded that her situation was dire. In that world at that time, having no man in your family was a big liability because in a patriarchal world such as this, it was men who offered security, income, and the preservation of the family lineage. All of this was magnified, living as a refugee in an unfriendly land. Well, Naomi's men were gone. She was um, perhaps considered herself too old to remarry, so she felt the only chance she had to survive would be to go back home to Bethlehem, even if many there considered her a traitor. There could be some risks there. So she began the journey back home with Ruth and Orpah. It was a minor miracle that they had chosen to go with her, since they had no obligation to accompany her with their husbands dead, their connection was much stronger to their families of origin. Whether Naomi knew how blessed she was to have such loyal daughters-in-law or not is unclear. But as they traveled, one thing did become clear to Naomi. She felt cursed and did not want to bring Ruth and Orpah down with her. The hand of the Lord has turned against me, she said. You will find more security in the houses of your mothers, so turn around, go back, she said to Ruth and Orpah. Then she kissed them both and said goodbye. Now, for all of Naomi's pessimism here, or maybe you'd say realism, I don't know, this was quite a selfless act on her part. And what happened next? Ruth and Orpah, amidst their tears, declared to their mother-in-law, they will not return to their families, but will accompany her to Bethlehem. Naomi basically says to them, are you nuts? As Naomi then spelled out in blunt detail to them, uh, she was unable to attract a man or produce a male to help out in the situation. So go back to your, the houses of your Moabite families. See, where you, you at least have a chance. And this time, Orpah was persuaded. She kissed Naomi and left. But Ruth, Ruth was another matter, was she not? It says she clung to Naomi. Naomi persisted. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. It was then that Ruth said these memorable words. Do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, 
if even death parts me from you. Wow. And Ruth was good to her word. She risked everything going to Bethlehem with Naomi. A Moabite woman in Judah, under the wing of someone who, who could promise to provide nothing? And yet she was bound to her mother-in-law. In chapters 2 and 4, we learn what happens to these two, and I must say it's a good story. The summary is, is, is as follows. Ruth marries a cousin of Naomi's named Boaz, a successful businessman, who seeks to preserve the line of Naomi's family. And Ruth turns out to be blessed by all of Bethlehem, and Naomi, too, is blessed and is provided for by Boaz. The story of Ruth ends with the birth of a boy to Ruth and Boaz named Obed. Any, does that ring any bells? Any biblical scholars out there? Obed would go on to become the grandfather of King David. Much farther down the line in this family is a man named Jesus. So Jesus' family had a mixed marriage in its history, and uh, that wasn't the only one. What do we take away from a story such as this? A, a few reflections and, and thoughts and challenges. As, as Patrick said uh, so well, uh, not only Jesus, but according to this story, even in the Old Testament, the notion of family gets redefined, and it's always broader than we think. Even in the Old Testament, clearly it was the case with Jesus. We see that God's story includes a bigger family circle than one might have imagined. For a Jew at this time to be told that a Moabite woman would be an ancestor of a Jewish king, or one day a man that many would call savior, well, that would rattle a few cages, right? We see today, do we not, how easily many people imagine God to be a tribal God, casting aspersions on those who are in a different tribe, of a different race, practicing a different religion or living a different sexual identity than those in our group. In truth, stories like Ruth remind us in no uncertain terms that God is at work universally calling us to broaden our horizons about who is really family. I don't have to remind you that there is a movement in our country to narrow our notion of the American family. Just Thursday night, the entire Somali community of Minneapolis was villainized in one fell swoop by a certain leader. Any observant reader of Scripture will recognize that the Judeo-Christian God that we worship values and, and is at work in people of all ethnicities and creeds. It's in the story. And by the way, this includes you as well, not just people out there, right here. And that leads to my final consideration this morning. The question I began with uh, in my sermon, my friend Mark, who has experienced profound loss, who, who will be there for him? Can we learn some from, something from the story of Ruth? Being this is a sermon, the obvious answer, of course, to the question of who will be there for Mark or Ruth would be God, of course, right? 
God is someone you can count on. Yet God is not even a character in the book of Ruth. Go ahead, read it through. There's a reference to God, but only an oblique one. Well, now what? We just have to hope a Ruth shows up? There's a Ruth. We're good. Turns out, God was there in the story of Ruth. God was there in Ruth, giving hope and new possibilities to Naomi. Did you get that? Ruth. There are very few places in all of Scripture where you hear a better and more compelling expression of the faithfulness of God to his human children and his solidarity to them than these, these words. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. This is the God we believe in, folks, who shows up in human lives for the sake of all of his children who need faith, hope, and love. And then he won't let go. And if you doubt this, look at Jesus. Yes, the Israelites are God's chosen, God's chosen people, right? And yet it seems that Ruth was chosen too. Ruth, a widow from Moab, not Israel, chosen by God to be his instrument. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried, says Ruth. But of course it was God and Ruth. Because that is exactly what God did in Jesus. He died right there where we die. Later on, Boaz is an agent of the work of God too. Restoring a family line and reconnecting a widow, two of them actually, to communal life and so on and so on. This is the God that Luther preached and taught about. The God who is at work in widows and businessmen and women, in the chosen and the not chosen, in the poor, in the rich, in the Christian, in the Jew, in the Muslim. Simply put, anywhere you see someone who is faithful to another, who gives of themselves because someone needs it, God has made an appearance there. God is at work in this world through all acts of love and encouragement and nurture and commitment. That includes your own life, whether you consider yourself qualified in religion or not. So, who will respond to Mark in the midst of his loss? God will. And God will do it through, through whom? Through you. That means you're called. Amen.